The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Welcome to Everybody Is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf Review Podcast, where I, Phil Hawkins, a longtime fan of the show, introduce Adam, a brand new viewer of the show, to episodes for the very first time. Yes, I wonder how far I can get before I can stop saying I'm a brand new viewer. Yes, well, but you're, like... every episode we reach, you are a brand new viewer that to is, that episode. That is technically so true. That's technically true. I think true. that still counts. And we're occasionally on this show joined by guest reviewers and... Today, we've got our first ever returning guest reviewer, uh, because coming back is Billy Garrett John. Hello, Billy. Uh, That is an accolade I am proud to wear. (laughs) I want that around my neck. Uh, Hello, everybody. It's lovely to to be back and talking to people about Red Dwarf again. Well, we we put you through Body Swap last time, which (laughs) I think we all agreed was one of the worst episodes of Red Dwarf. (laughs) You know what's really funny? I was like, oh, this, okay, it's a baptism of fire like going back and watching and analyzing like a bad red dwarf like mm. i'll watch them on marathons but i'll never actively go back and select body swap to watch as an episode sure but like this episode is a very different kettle of fish it's like mm. i love this episode i watch it all the time when i'm in the mood for a red dwarf it's kind of my comfort red dwarf episode um yeah so really cool to be talking about it yeah, and that's why we needed to get you on for this episode. We because uh, I think when we were recording, but the body swap episode, you mentioned that this was your favorite episode. So we thought, well, that's the episode we need to get you back on for. Um, so that episode is quarantine, and uh, we will we will be talking about that in all its glorious detail very soon. Um, just to just to introduce anybody that hasn't listened to our previous episode, uh, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Where can people find you online? Because since you recorded the last episode, you have launched your own very successful podcast. Mm, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, re- the Review of Death podcast is sort of the, the was it next mutational form to quote, misquote Genesis of the Daleks <laughs> of um, Review of Death. Um, which Matt and I have been working on since summer 2019. So way back when we were involved with Doctor Who on Twitch and we've been plugging away at it. And finally we've got, yeah, a really cool podcast that we're yeah. doing. Because previously um, it was a, it was a YouTube thing, wasn't it? You, you, yeah, you did yeah, YouTube, YouTube reviews videos. of Doctor Who, but it's now morphed into a new thing and it's a, it's a new podcast. You've got a very, very, I'm very jealous of the very swish <laughs> studio you've got. You've got a multi-camera setup. Here's people on YouTube watching this podcast just see a little wiggly line. They don't even see our faces. Um, but and- you know what? It's like, it, it's it's kind of luck that we have that space. You know, it just, mm. it's fortuitous that we want to work with people that have that space for us to work in because... Mm. Um, you know, it's all tied in with with lots of other different aspects of, of of the company, and we've got that space, and it's like, oh, well, we've got to use it. You know, it's it's there. You know, it's available to us. Why not have fun instead of being in like a, a one room with you know like a table between us and like typical podcast sort of setup. You know, yeah. Um, 
so yeah no it's it's it's, lo- it's lovely it's a really lovely space to be in it kind of encourages us to really plug away at it and yeah it's, so people it's can listen very to nice if me if me and adam didn't live so far apart from each other yeah. i'd be saying we need to get ourselves a studio space but uh, unfortunately we live at different ends of the country so oh, uh, no. that doesn't really work uh Right, so we're going to be talking about quarantine uh, this week, which, of course, uh, is, oh, well, I'll read the synopsis that's on IMDb. After investigating an abandoned research complex on an ice planet, Lister, Cat, and Crichton return to Red Dwarf, only to find that Rimmer has been infected with an electronic virus. He's taken over Red Dwarf, and he puts them into quarantine for three months. Mm. There we go. So we get uh, right, we, we sort of start with a nice model shot we're always getting these lovely model shots of mm. red dwarf landing on an ice uh, sort of near an ice base uh anything to say about that i mean other than just like the, the model shots are really good i liked there was a little they sent out a probe at one point and that looked really good as well mm. there's this little probe going off into the distance towards the base and i thought that was really well done I just think whenever I see a ship now in Red Dwarf, like the model shots, like they are so good. But I think it's probably because it was the first thing I remember watching when I was really little. But it just always reminds me of those glorious model effects in like Jerry Anderson shows, you know, like Thunderbirds and Stingray and all that sort of stuff. But obviously, I don't know if they were paying like a direct homage in that sense. But even if they weren't, like they do it so, so well. So, yeah, just another, uh, like you said, another great opening model shot. I, uh, I think it's really interesting seeing the different planets they land on because i think it ultimately comes down to what can you do well to like the Mm. model guys you know like oh we do snow planets really well or we do rocky terrain really well and it all comes together and it's nice that the design sort of informs the script in that way so great we'll do like an ice related gag with the frost on the um warning signs and all that sort of stuff um so yeah it's nice how it all feeds into each other like that Mm. The uh, talking of the little scouter thing that they send off, uh, which uh, I mentioned a second ago, Rimmer, uh, well, initially Crichton orders the launch of that, uh, but then Rimmer is very quick to say, hold on, that's my job. That's my job to do to to say that that should go. And I love this scene. It's it's a great moment when he then says launch it uh, and everybody just ignores him. And there's just like this awkward silence where they're just kind of, completely undermining any sort of command that he wants to have i mean that just that that's again it's this summation what we've seen so far of like rimmer being i guess the butt of everyone's joke or like you know that he gets no respect or anything and of course like i think in this opening scene at some point i can't remember the exact dig but we get uh cat making you know a dig at rimmer now uh, recently, Billy, me and Phil have sort of said, like, obviously we know that Cat, you know, doesn't necessarily like Rimmer. You know, he's always got something to say about him. I think goalpost head is the most common insult. And like, yeah, I, I, I think I said to you, didn't I feel like we get that? But like, I, I personally feel going through it for the first time, like that sort of just, you know, quick insult, like, you know, a one liner insult is becoming a bit of a, I don't a bit, a tiny bit of a stale trait in a way. Um, because some sometimes in some of the past episodes and past listeners will know this you know sometimes it develops into a further joke or it's directly referencing what's going on and it works really well but on this occasion and some of the others in the past it is literally just i'm going to insult you and then that's it and i don't know for me at least it's getting a little bit stale but um, what do you think of that as like a a trait for cat as a more experienced viewer i suppose i i think i just love 
especially as you go on, how ridiculous the um, observations get of them in the okay. gags. Like, yeah. um, I don't know if he's already said it, but one of my favourite cat-isms is him calling Lister Dormouse Cheeks. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Because, you know, Craig's got that kind of appearance. And I just think, oh, when you've got, like, lines and descriptors where the characters get each other so well and you can, like, write for these performers, mm. I, I, I kind of enjoy it for that reason, just to see how ridiculous they'll go, like, flared nostrils always referenced on Rimmer, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, and I, I like it. I like the way they describe Crichton as well, being a like a giant half-chewed rubber tip pencil. It's just like, that's perfect. That's such <laughs> yeah, a perfect insult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't mind them. I didn't mind it too much in this episode. Uh, as I, I know we've said in the previously, sometimes he just randomly comes out of it while they're like, he'll like, oh, goalpost head over there. And it just seems like a random out of nowhere insult. Here, it does kind of feel like it fits because of how Rimmer is being. He's being so obnoxious with this kind of, oh no, that's my job, Crichton. Don't don't be taking my job. I want to say, I, it's my job to say that. That he deserves to be treated like that immediately afterwards sure. with that contempt. So I don't mind it so much here as I did in, I think in previous episodes where we've, where we've sort of commented on the fact that Cat does it a lot. It kind of fits with like, oh no, don't get to be talk like that to us. We're going to show you back up. And of course, he then also, another thing that happens when, after he's realised that, oh, they're not going to listen to me, he's like, <clears throat> I'll be in the stern, correlating the, uh, in the stern. And then Crichton is like, would you be so good as to launch the scouter, please, sir? He's like, yes, sir! And he, oh, really loudly so that Rimmer can hear. Aye, aye, sir! <laughs> scouter launch, sir! Uh, and I, I quite really like that bit as well, that whole scene. It was a contender for my funniest moment. I'm not sure if it necessarily wins it but it, it was definitely a a good a good moment i thought um so they get the uh they they've picked up a distress is it a distress that they, they figure out through the scouter i think it is that there there's some kind of um life form a holographic life form in there a doctor dr langstrom um and there's this whole conversation about having to time share with because yes. of course the ship can only support one hologram so initially they they need to rescue this hologram with Rimmer's light be, and then also they're going to have to timeshare on the ship as well, mm. which is uh, it's definitely just a way for them to get rid of Rimmer some of the time. I can imagine them just never turning him back on if they had another hologram. Yeah, and I think they've, it's a nice little, I think, subtle continuity reference because I think we've had subtle lines like that before when when hologram bees of sorry light bees have come up. You know, the sort of oh well, yeah, of course we'd turn you on. You know, of course we'd we'd give you some time. So it's a, just that nice little callback that Red Dwarf does so well sometimes when it wants to acknowledge its continuity, it does so really well. When it doesn't want to acknowledge it, it's just like ah, eh, we'll just whatever, just <laughs> we'll make it up as we go along. <laughs> Totally. I, I, it's funny, actually, you mentioning continuity because a continuity in Red Dwarf is something that I don't think of in the same way I think about like Doctor Who continuity. Sure, but, yeah. You know, it is there because there are lots of callbacks and references. You know, Kachansky doesn't disappear through the course of the show. She's always referenced. Mm. Um, but yeah, sometimes it does just put its hands in the air and go, whatever, don't matter. No one's paying attention. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or they'll just go like, "Oh yeah, whatever." We'll just we'll just shove this in a quick scrolling thing that nobody will read at the top of the episode. Exactly. And this is exactly. the this is the random explanation, convoluted explanation we've come up with, with, with why none of that matters. 
I think, though, they do have enough time travel episodes um, and people rewriting history episodes that you can basically... It's like the time war in Doctor Who. You can just explain Mm. anything, any continuity and consistency from before that point away with just like, oh, yeah, but there was that time travel episode. They just just rewrote stuff. I I quite Mm. like the way that the Red Dwarf lot do it because I'm sure there was a, an old Smegups tape where they, you know, compile all the outtakes together and release it on a videotape. How crazy was that? You could get away with just releasing outtakes from the show as an individual videotape in stores. Like, that seems crazy to me now. Um, yeah. But they would sometimes shoot little segments, and there's a bit where they've got viewer questions, and Crichton goes into a bag, and they reference the discrepancy in the number of people on board Red Dwarf when the radiation leak happened. And that in one episode, it's like one number and in another episode, it's a different number. And somebody said, why did he say this number? And it was like Rimmer. And Crichton just turns to the camera and says, because he's a smokehead. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Like, and let's not acknowledge that it's a TV show. Like, he just yeah. said it wrong because he's an idiot. And it can kind of get away with it like that when it when it takes the mick, you know? Yeah. And I feel that like they get away with it because Red Dwarf's been doing it like so early on, like you say, just sort of embellishing that when it wants to just sort of throw it to the side, it does. And it does it in such a way where if it wasn't as confident in it as it is, it wouldn't work. You know, it's like and and because they established that so early, I think, like you say, Billy, I think that's why we and so many others, when there are moments like that, where traditional continuity is either contradicted or it's just thrown out the window we're not really bothered by it because they've established this precedent whereas like you say something like doctor who been running for decades has never really done that some oh whatever Mm. continuity that confidently whereas if they just suddenly maybe did that then it'd feel really off because it isn't the exactly thing i think it's because ultimately and that people probably don't want to accept it as much and i don't think this is the kind of initial idea for red dwarf it is still a sci-fi parody show like, yeah. yeah, it's it's a sitcom set in space, but, you know, it's also taking the mick out of science fiction tropes. So when there is like a really long convoluted plot, it's kind of part of the joke as well. Like, yeah. oh, this this sci-fi show didn't pay attention to that discrepancy episode to episode because it's a sci-fi show. And we're a sci-fi show, like whatever, you know, that they, they didn't want to do robots and bug-eyed monsters and stuff. You know, that was one of the initial edicts. Like Crichton only came on because Rob had his arm twisted because he didn't want a robot on board the ship. And so but then you realise, oh, it's a parody. Like, so what? It can explain away plot stuff as, you know, time, space, continuum, wibbly wobbly, whatever. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we get a few firsts in this episode of things that will recur uh, many times. And the first of those is the Space Core Directives, which get mentioned for the first time in this episode. Wow. All right. That will reoccur many, many times. But in this one, Rimmer doesn't believe they exist initially because Crichton is quoting Space Corps directives at him for, for things and he doesn't believe they exist. And so get Holly furnishes him with a copy, which he uses later on in the episode against them. Um, but this is, I mean, Adam, you won't know this, but there, there are, I won't explain exactly what's going to happen because you've got to just discover it as it comes. But... Rimmer returns to these Space Corps directives quite a lot in a few, in a, certainly in, a, in the forthcoming seasons. Um, nice. And it's just nice that they're, I, di- I didn't know when they started, but this is how they, how, this is how he initially finds out about them. And I had forgotten that he didn't always know they existed. <laughs> but this is the thing, like, it's, it's such a good gag that it's always in, like, best Space Corps directive gag lists. 
because it's mm. so funny and it's so memorable like um and they get better you know they actually become zingers like if you imagine a a, a tv show with a a catchphrase on its shirts red dwarf for that era is well space core directive you know it's it's th that's what it is for this like yeah. next two years or three years um and it's nice when they call back to it in later seasons as well like we know that gag always works we know yeah. it's an old reliable one I look forward to hearing it then for however many times it's going to pop up. In, in the next <laughs> you might get sick of it, Adam. We don't know yet. <laughs> and it's this—it's uh, the start of this sort of really antagonistic because the, the 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 space core directive jokes are always between Crichton and Rimmer, and there's this kind of like battle between them basically, and that starts here. Rimmer gets a little bit nasty. He's even he goes like, uh, he says you're you're merely a mechanoid. Don't you forget it? Like know your place that's quite you know that yeah. that's that's very nasty you're by this point in the episode i think you're really not rooting for rimmer at all at this point yeah yeah and i know and that we've had a few like that, yeah there's the, i mean i know a lot of the time you're not rooting for rimmer because he is a smeghead but <laughs> he's a complete git but some of the times some of the times you really want him to come like face him come up and some of the times you're just like oh yeah he's been a bit of a bit of a Smeghead. And some of the time you're like, actually, I do feel a bit sympathy for him. This is definitely not a sympathy time. This is a, well, I want you to feel some consequences time. And he does get some consequences, um, which we will get to. Uh, Dr. Langstrom uh, is the holographic doctor person that they find in the ship. But she, we find out, has been infected by a psi virus. Um, hmm. Yeah, she's quite scary, I thought. <laughs> yeah, quite um quite horrifying really. But then I do remind myself that this is technically a as we discussed ages ago, Phil, this is technically a post watershed show. It is. It yes. was broadcast uh, after nine p or on nine PM, so yeah, whilst I was like, because I think uh, I think I have this notion that, you know, some episodes of Red Dwarf and they're not necessarily light and fluffy, but you know, they're quite there's nothing too post watershed about them and then like every now and then there'll be something like this where i'm like whoa that's quite out there and it's like oh no but that you know that was the that's okay that's the audience but no when they go for like the horror though or they go for uh the scares they often do them very well i know we've said in the past when they've gone for like that more horror homage whether it's a direct homage or not like we've done a lot of alien comparisons you know in some episodes when they're like searching the ship for something or they're avoiding people they do those uh those genres or those tropes very well i think yeah definitely it's it's cool like within red dwarf that it can do that like i think other mm. shows might scrimp on that aspect of it but you know one of the cool things about sci-fi is the scary unknown you know the deep blackness of space all that kind of stuff so and and the production team always bring it as well like with the self-loathing beast and mm. you know with uh gelf costumes and all that kind of stuff they always you know pull out all the stops um yeah. i think the polymorph is sort of the the foundation of that really that they they had to put a warning at the front of the episode because they thought people would be scared of the polymorph yeah like they you know they were trying to do stuff like that so it's it's cool to acknowledge it mm. yeah i think i must have been about eight or so when i first saw this episode so i think it did pr i think the the hologram did freak me out a bit because the cool. makeup is really good and it the, you know the glowing red eyes it's very very scary for like if if kids are watching it i know it's not meant to be for kids but 
you know, I was about eight. I was watching. I was watching it. And I think I I was quite scared at the time. Uh, I did wonder though, like the 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 plot about this is that she's a doctor that was developing viruses, both positive and negative. So research into viruses. These are organic viruses that she's developing. In fact, they use some of them, uh, like the luck virus and stuff, which we can talk about in a minute. But how I I still like holograms don't have brains they don't have any organic tissue how are this is one of those red dwarf like just don't think about it too much but it's like it did what like how do they get infected i i got the impression that you know all of those viruses that she created she did all of that sort of stuff prior to her death and then holograms got get infections you know like corrupted code is kind of how i perceived it but you know i kind of get that whole there's a line with Crichton destroyed by her own genius or whatever and now i think about it i'm like so she synthesized yeah like raw organic genetic material into a virus and yet somehow she's dead and her light bee catches it like it is a bit weird like when you think of it like that but again it's red dwarf yeah like, you know, it's a, she's a means to an end because somebody's got to get infected and go loopy later you know so it's just um it's one of those things you have to just jump through hoops and try that's and true she doesn't last too on. long either because she sort of chases them around for a little bit i did like the line about like why is it no one we ever meet can shoot straight it's like that is that is sci-fi in general isn't it nobody can ever shoot the bad guys can't shoot straight because otherwise your good guys would be dead and the film or yeah. tv show would be over <laughs> that was my potential funniest like like it was a potent it's in their potential to be my funniest moment just because like you say it is such a sci-fi trope like you say the well what's the classic one about star wars the stormtroopers are like the worst shots in the world so how the hell do they work for the empire when they can't hit anything yes yeah, it's such a talking a about, i mean trope. slight diversion but did you guys watch the the mandalorian at all uh, I watched bits yes because they 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 do that very like, there's a moment in that where two stormtroopers are just like killing some time and like basically shooting a can but both of them miss and they're like how are you missing that and it's it, like it's absolutely a reference to that i think oh. they like the meta reference works so well yeah. in that and it works so well here as well i think as well but she dissolves before she can really hurt them, luckily. But she has communicated with Rimmer on the ship and unbeknownst to him or the crew has infected him. But we don't know that yet. Yes. Uh, he's already gone back to Red Dwarf ahead of them in a small pod. And when the guys get back there, uh, they he, he roots them into quarantine because he's like, you've been exposed to this person with a virus. You should go into quarantine uh for three months yeah oh my word it's giving me shivers that could yep. never happen in real life could it yeah, yeah. how it really on the nose hit home is this watching the this episode yeah it's great I, I, but i love like watching it now and i'm like god i must have bickered with my family like that like you know oh just you being around me i'm annoyed <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> We're cooped up in this space and we can't leave and you know they always end up turning on each other i love that whole cabin fever gag you know, yeah. it's, it, it's so weird, like watching it now and going, my God, we oh, all know man. what that's like. You know, not everybody knew what being in quarantine was like, but we've all been yeah. under a lockdown. You know, that's obviously more severe in the show, but it's the same principles as being in a tight space and going like, oh, my God, this is where uh, this is all where we, where we can go. It's it's brilliant. Yes. Luckily, at least yeah. we have the Internet these days, whereas they <laughs> just have 
a knitting magazine, a chessboard with incomplete pieces. And uh, what was the video? I don't think I wrote down what the video was, but they had a, like a really boring video that then at one it was, point... Uh, it was a perpetually looped tape of Reggie Dixon's Tango Treats. That's I think. something That's like that, it. yeah. And at one point... All issued as part of the Space Corps directive, <laughs> no less. Yeah, nothing to do with Rimmer. Rimmer's definitely yeah. not... <laughs> not informing this at one point when they're is. arguing uh and their lister wants to get like get at the other two he's like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and he goes to put the video on and they're like and they're like no hold him back hold him back no that whole and and you know that uh well rimmer and extension chris barry is loving like that whole getting his revenge being in control and when we've seen that before i mean chris barry we all know he's a phenomenal actor anyway but like he plays that sort of it's that snidiness, you know, that smugness of being like, he's basically, you know, the the subtleness is I've got you back basically for what you did earlier. But I feel he never, he never like overdoes it where you sort of like go, okay, now you're just being a bit too silly. He always exactly. does it to like the right degree where you're like, it's funny and you know exactly why he's doing it as well. Yeah, He's, he's so good at that smugness and mm. he's so good at doing the, Rimmer thinks he's got one over on them sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I need to correct myself as well. The VHS that Lister threatened to put on was a DIY guide video. Oh, okay. Oh. And then I think Reggie Dixon's Tango Treats was their entertainment one of the evenings that Rimmer's going to put oh, on. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But yeah, it's just, it's um, it's so, it's such a hallmark of like Chris Barry's performance as Rimmer is the flared nostrils kind of, you know, pulling, <laughs> a, pulling a face and I'm, I'm mightier than now and all that kind of stuff. It's just... Archetypal yeah. Rimmer. I think this is such a good episode just to display every character's thing. Like yeah. they, they've all, they're all displaying their kind of ultimate caricature version of themselves in this story. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and the fact that Rimmer is using the thing that Crichton got against here, so he's taken these rules that Crichton, the Space Corps directives, and he's using it against them by going to the letter of the law, like the fact that they're in a single birth bunk room because it says it's allocated on one per per registered mm. crew member and lister is the only yes. registered crew member and so he gets like to the letter of the law basically rather than the spirit of the law and absolutely that is something Lim rimmer would do to be like ha you you tried to pull these over me earlier well now i'm gonna pull them over you absolutely and just to bring back to what you said billy about the whole um quarantine thing obviously being strangely poignant to us all now and those those flaring tensions and, and i wonder if because I, I mean obviously I'll, I'll mention my score at the end but i do wonder if part of my the influence of the score i gave is because i had that experience or we all had that experience of last year not that i think this would be a bad episode had we not all gone into quarantine but the fact like so many of of what we see like the rising tensions that feeling of being isolated was so I mean, it happened to a lot of us, you know, like you said, and it was, and like oh, people said of all the other sort of films like that, you know, the film Contagion from, I think, 10 years ago, 2011, like apparently in that film, I did see it back then, but I can't remember it fully, but apparently in that film, they use terms like social distancing and like you hear that now and you're like, whoa, that's, that's mad, but yeah, no, but they they get it done so well as well. Like, obviously I know they couldn't, pre they weren't predicting that this was ever going to happen uh, as it has, but I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying, the way they played it out was just very, felt very natural. Obviously very funny as well, but a very, I guess, natural reaction to what we would be like and were like in a in quarantine. Yeah. And that whole thing of like having to make do 
Like, yeah. like all, we, all we've got is this crossword puzzle. And you kind of think, how long could you do that for before it drove, it drove you nuts? And before, you know, uh, but we all, but now we kind of know what that's like, you know, when, when you can't be frivolous, you can't do the things that you want to do. And you have yeah. to really think about, you know, uh, the, the law and being safe and, you know, making sure other people are okay. It's really weird that, you know, it's just an episode of TV I've watched so many times and now I can actually relate to it weirdly. It's um, yeah. it's really cool. It, it, you know, it it does it does kind of allow you to reflect on the episode a bit a bit more than you usually would. I actually had a moment earlier today where I was uh, trying to do some some work because I'm working from home and somebody else was vacuum cleaning and it, and it I'd I'd watched the episode earlier in the day and I found myself like just because I couldn't concentrate and the noise and I was just like ah I can't think straight and I can imagine that's that is exactly what they were all like in that in that situation in this that you just can't think straight because so much is going on and somebody's doing something really annoying just to the left of you and and uh so i uh, emphasized on that on a personal level today earlier on <laughs> uh, just skipping back a little bit i missed that we did actually go another first just before they cut to the bit where they're all at each other's throats we get the very first boys from the dwarf boys from the boys from the dwarf with the hands yeah. which i I didn't remember being in this sort of first run of episodes. In my head, it was a it was a Dave era thing because they do it so much during the Dave era that when they did it in this episode, I was like, "Oh, okay." I don't. I didn't remember them doing it in the classic era, but apparently they did. I don't know if they do it anymore in the classic era, uh, and it's something I, Dave. I can just... think of. I can think of a couple yeah. more where it comes up, but like, yeah, it's just it's a nice thing. It feels like it's been improvised by the cast. You know, they're kind of like they've been given the line, the boys from the dwarf, and then they've kind of integrated like a handshake or like a movement in it that, you know, it kind of becomes like a team thing, you know, like everybody putting their hands in the center and going, you know, boys from the dwarf or whatever. It's nice. It kind yeah. of rounds everybody back up and reminds them like, yeah, we're a posse, you know, we're a crew. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it does it does make me think, considering I think this is broadcast in like nineteen ninety two, it does remind me of that sort of very, you know you say very 90s like yeah we're like you say like yeah we're in a crew that's it man like this is a and you know i don't know if that was the it, it still works of course but yeah i see it and i just think ah oh, there it is because you know we see 90s media and any like gang or crew or whatever it is yeah they're, they're all doing like the like yeah man what's movements. Up? it's yeah. great i love it yeah if anything <laughs> if anything it works i think it works better later on because they're like old men now and it's even yeah, more ridiculous than doing it back. It, yeah. it's a nice reminder that actually you know what they, they are probably quite friendly like you know the, not just cast obviously but the crew like they still yeah. have to live with each other in deep space i think the only two characters that never actually like each other at any point are like well the cat and rimmer and yeah. probably Crichton and rimmer like Crichton will be concerned to him for for, for him for a degree but like he's not going to go out of his way to save him like he would lister like he's always sure, going to pick yeah. Lister over over Rimmer, um, yeah. but it's 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 cool, yeah. That there's a couple of moments where they they try and round each other up with it, and it's it's really sweet. It reminds you, oh, they probably do hang out. You know, Rimmer's a smeghead, but you know he he's integrated into the social circle a little bit. To a degree, there is an episode uh, in this season where they sneak out uh, to try and go on a fishing trip without him because they just don't want him with them yeah it's it's lovely though it's it's like it feels like harmless teasing and then all of a sudden when they're really not nice to him 
then it's like, oh, okay, they actually hate each other. It's yeah. a weird yeah. relationship. Yeah, because even in that episode, like, Lister's trying to be kind about it. He's trying yeah, to make like, up, oh, like, oh, just, oh, no, we just oh, didn't we think, think you'd want to come. Thing. Yeah. yeah, and then, like, and like the cat's like, you know, well, we hate you. <laughs> and yeah, and, and Lister's like, stop it, shut up, man. Like, we've got to be nice yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lovely. So they're in uh, quarantine for a few weeks, and then that we, we're getting them, seeing them being quite uh, aggressive to each other, and it's really getting to them. And then we hear Rimmer's voice again, and I love the the, the kind of you can just hear. You don't see his face. You don't know something quite what's wrong yet, and you just just like he's got this slow, weird voice. It's like something is up, gentlemen. Your conversation makes interesting listening. Rimmer, is that you? Oh yeah, and then the lights come on, yeah. and he's sitting there in a gingham dress and army boots, and a, like yes. a little Miss Muffet hat. <laughs> I think it's got to be probably the like one of the biggest red dwarf laughs, like yeah. proper belly laugh. Oh my god! Because the audience get to like that kind of fever pitch at one point with it, where they just they're hysterical. And it is hilarious. And Chris plays it so beautifully. He keeps such a straight face. All through face. the episode. It's, it's so funny. And it, it, I, I remember watching it. And the first time I saw it, because this is the first episode of Red Dwarf I ever watched, I was cr- like cry laughing. And, and that happens <laughs> rarely for most people, you know, where you just can't control yourself. But yeah. I was just in tears over Chris's performance. And it's always made me laugh. I've never lost that kind of affection for how funny that that whole section is i think what frames what frames the gag so well uh, is also that earlier you know we saw an example of someone who was infected in dr langstrom and obviously she was more like a insane depraved like zombie so when you i just like when you hear the voice you know something's not right you think all oh, right well i thought anyway i thought oh we're now gonna see like you know a full-on zombie deranged uh... and that you know that whole the gingham that was the last thing I was expecting to see, which made me find it even more funny because it's like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> so I think, uh, for me anyway, I think that the way they framed like the virus was really, just the way they revealed it was really cool. How it wasn't just like the same thing for everyone who got it. It affected Rimmer completely differently. And yeah, I just thought that was a great way to frame the gag. You know what? Everybody everybody gets different symptoms of this virus. It's again, yeah. it's like a weird thing. Yeah, um, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they've all, you know, I, I like the fact there is that continuity of the hex vision, which obviously then is like, oh, he's insane, but he's also like a threat. And yeah. okay, sure, he still doesn't shoot any straighter than Dr. Langstrom, but, um, you know, he's a deadly kind of um, character at that point. It's it's the first time any of them kind of have that power of like, mm. uh, maybe apart from when Lister's shrunk down and takes on the Mutton Vindaloo monster, like that's the only time I can think where they've been bestowed powers yes, um, yeah. in, in this run of the show anyway. So it's it's cool to see them actually in fear of what Rimmer could do to them. I love also the stuff about the potato uh, king. Is it the uh, king of the potato people? I That's love it. Because that uh, they asked to be let out, and he says, "Because the king of the potato people won't let me." And then it gets even better when they're like, it, they, they try and play along with it, but then he's he's like, "So let me get this straight. You want to fly on a magic carpet to see the king of the potato people?" <laughs> And plead with him for your freedom. And you're telling me you're completely sane? 
it's so good. It's like it's it's oh, there's a bit of rimmer still in there. Like mm. I, I imagine the virus, you know, the virus isn't going to automatically make him like really funny, <laughs> but like he's got that kind of like cynicism still in him. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's it's such a wicked gag, and you know when he starts howling to himself as well like that's that is the bit i think that got me the first time because it comes so out of nowhere because makes Mm. this noise and oh it's yeah it's fab it's such a funny funny that's i think stuff coming out of nowhere is just what makes this whole bit because every couple of minutes Mm. rimmer does something else that is just completely unexpected and completely out of nowhere that you just from the initial voice and then suddenly seeing the dress and then you know, this potato person thing, and then you get Mr. Fibble later on as well. Uh, Fibble, <laughs> it's just like every yes. few moments, he does something else completely wacky and crazy that you weren't expecting. He reminds me of many a drunken <laughs> night out, I have to say. Um, <laughs> not necessarily with the gingham, swap the gingham dress for a cheerleader's outfit and you can get the picture. Uh, but, do you know what? Yeah. I just realised that would be such a good like Halloween outfit. <laughs> it would be awesome yes. because i've actually got a mr flibble at home it's like a replica puppet um well they there you go folks look out for so from what i've seen uh, it is quite a popular <laughs> cosplay at uh, at conventions because uh, i've 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 noticed since uh, since we started up the twitter account i've been following other um red dwarf related twitter accounts and right, uh and uh, dimension jump is the main uk convention so i followed them and they've got one coming up very soon and they've been so they've been posting pictures and stuff and i looked on their website and yeah it's a popular cosplay this one people coming with the with the full gingham dressed and miss mr flibble it's brilliant i, I love how can you, can you like adam do you detect that mr flibble might become like an infamous like thing and legend in the show like not you know not that he kind of comes back again or anything like that but he is just such an iconic moment in the show like the the fact they sold replica mr flibbles 20 years on from from that episode going out or whatever you know then they're still and then i think also Um, yeah like you say he was only ever in this one episode but he i think i read that he in the official um the smegazine the official magazine of red dwarf in the 90s he was like he had a regular column or something that was from mr flibble sure. and I, I, and it's lovely that they found it in a charity shop it was just like a hand oh, nice. they didn't know i think it. they did um i because I, I read oh, that they? they they made that one as a kind of temporary like rehearsal thing and then they were going to go and get one from a charity shop. Oh, and so they just stuck with. Well, yeah, the, because with they went to got and they got a load from a charity shop. Again, this is as as I always preface. This is from IMDb trivia, which anybody can edit. But they they apparently the story is that they went and got a load from a charity shop, and none of them were anywhere near as funny as this random little thing that they'd made for rehearsals. Do you know what? I think you're absolutely right because I remember I think in that same documentary on the on the big sort of series five documentary on the DVD. I think Chris says, because he mentions obviously having worked on Spitting Image, which is obviously puppets and voiceovers and stuff. And you see a lot of that kind of coming through the way he can move his hands and stuff. Um, I think he just said it worked the best for the character. Like, you know, he he obviously got presented all these ones they found from his charity shop. And he went, this one's funnier. And it's just, and it works. You can't imagine if it was any other puppet. You can't imagine it being anything other than a a penguin. (laughs) It's great. Definitely does. Um, then, of course, he cuts off the oxygen to the room 
um, and they need to get out quickly, otherwise they're going to die. And I, I realised we forgot to mention that uh, on the ship, they I, I briefly mentioned it, but we didn't go into it. They found a load of positive and negative viruses. Things, the positive ones are things like a virus that gives you charisma, inspiration, sexual magnetism. Uh, and importantly for this, a luck virus, uh, which is the one that they tested out when they were on Starbug and they use again here to get out of the room. Out of interest, what positive virus would you guys most want? Would it be the luck one? Luck. Yeah. 
before then that you can kind of forgive it. It's like it will just lead to another. Yeah, it great did kind of feel like they were yeah. okay. We've we've run out of the good gags now. Let's just let's just quickly wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I like this ending. I know, like sometimes me and Phil we've discussed this. Like sometimes I'm not a fan of necessarily the quick endings. Not saying I need like a big explanation, you know, at the end of everything to summarize what we've all just been through, but. Some of them I've not been too keen on, and I, I, I'm not too keen on the ones. The the one that springs to mind is the episode Justice uh, from series four, I think it was. And mm. I don't know if you remember at the end of that one, uh, obviously it's all about justice and the justice system and poking fun at all that sort of stuff. And then Lister, I think we said, didn't we, for like a nowhere for the last scene just goes on this you know, big speech about about the justice system, which obviously is like the message of the piece and all that. But to me, at least, it just felt very sort of, we've had all this comedy, like you say, and that now we're, right, we're, we're serious now. Mess- you know, message time now. It, it's, Whereas, yeah, it's weird. Like it, Sometimes like Red, Red Wolf doesn't really morally postulate like that. And then yeah. there's, there's that moment in, in Meltdown, I think it is, when... Yes, um, yeah, about the, war List, and stuff. Yeah, think, Lister yeah. goes on about, about war and... Uh, he talks about it, you know, really mm. quite eloquently, and then finishes up with a <laughs> "you smeggered." And it's like it's, it's a nice, I, it works it's a nice much better text, in Meltdown than it did in Justice, I think, because it was it was wrapped. He was talking yeah, to a character. Yeah. It was kind of involved. It was wrapped up into mm. the plot. Whereas in Justice, it was just kind of tacked on to the end as the last thing. Like they, and then he fell down a hole. And then he fell down a, a hole. Just yeah. a bit random. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas it kind of felt much more ingrained into yeah. the. Uh, ends of the plot in meltdown yeah and what was what i like back to again going on tangents as i do um back to the original point was like i'm glad there wasn't that sort of you know big speech at the end about this because you know you could have done one about oh this is uh, now we've learned that if we're in quarantine you know we should be kinder to you know all that sort of stuff i'm glad like you said billy this one yeah was a quick ending but as we've said, the comedy has been great throughout and I'm, I'm glad they did just finish like on a gag in this yeah. instance rather uh, the, than do what, the whole, what I think know. is weird about the way that Chris so utterly owns that role of like the, you know, the oppressor in the quarantine thing is that when you see Lister and the cat and Crichton in the gingham dress thing, it's a funny moment at the end, but I don't want to watch that episode. Like I'm, I'm sort of done at this point, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't think that would be as funny or whatever. You don't need to make a long sequence of them getting their revenge on Rimmer. You know he's going to hate it and they're going to make his life a misery. But, you know, I don't need no. to see that episode. Um, Absolutely. So it's nice that it ends there. And like I say, it just makes room for more great gags towards Absolutely. the end. Absolutely. One thing we always do on the show uh, is we pick our favourite character throughout the episode and our favourite moments. Uh, funniest moment, should I say. Uh, so, yeah, Billy, what was your favourite character to start with? I think I think we're probably all going to pick the same one here, I suspect. I I really hope so, because um, it, can, it can only ever happen once. It has to be Mr. Flibble. <laughs> it has to be Mr. Flibble. Like, you know, he is, he is absolutely a legend in his own right. Um, I was thinking, like, oh, if I ever got tattoos for, like, things that I liked... What, what what would I get for Red Dwarf? And I thought a flibble would be pretty cool. Just like a little flibble. A flibble. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it has to be. Just, yeah, absolute legends. That's, that's fair, fair enough. enough. I hadn't actually considered <laughs> Mr. Flibble as a character, but you know what? Yeah, actually, fair enough. He is, he can absolutely be a character. Adam, what about you? Mine, uh, well, uh, 
that was a good call, Billy. Mine isn't Mr. Flibble, but it's it's the it's the man who wields him, which of course is is Rimmer, you know. I mean once once we get going with the whole quarantine business and especially with him being infected we you know he's he's on an absolute roll and even before we see him infected like we talked about that sort of like brashness stubbornness he has the thinking he's got one up on everyone he i mean he always does that to a t but altogether it just felt like the complete package this time so i i have to give it to Chris Barry as as Rimmer. Yeah, but what about you, Phil? Rimmer. And for, for pretty much the same reasons, he's he's on form right from the very beginning here. But like, there's different stages. Like at the him getting humiliated and the way he plays that is brilliant. Then him, you know, being all smug and getting his wrench. Then the crazy Rimmer at the end just absolutely makes it. So absolutely Rimmer. What about funniest moments? Oh, well, it's <laughs> it made me laugh out loud, so I've got to give it to uh, uh, the king of the potato people. Um, it was very close to the, the 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 closest second was probably the initial reveal of Rimmer in the in the gingham dress, as we talked about. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was already laughing, and then for whatever reason, that line just sent me completely over the edge. So I'm like, okay, we're going into that lovely wacky. We're just we're gonna say anything, and it's just gonna work. So yeah, I've, I have to give it to the king of the potato people. But yeah, I think that's the that's the tricky thing. That's the tricky thing is it's like you're going to end up picking that whole sequence. You yeah, know, that's fine. It's just you can so, pick a whole sequence. so funny. But if I if I wasn't going to pick that because that is obviously the core central classic moment of that episode, I really liked the little moment when they're running away from Rimmer and they hide around the corner and Crichton is explaining what telekinesis is as the axe. Uh, thing on the wall is opening yes and it's such a telegraphed gag but it's so well timed and the audience are like way ahead of the gag Mm. and so they're enjoying the reveal of obviously somebody's going to get an axe in them but it's so like it's quite brutal for red dwarf as well you know like it's so out there and ridiculous that he's homicidal he's going to kill someone with an axe (laughs) you know like it's quite out of character for red dwarf in that way so I, i i like that Nice, yeah, good that's choice. Good one. I I've also put down King of the Potato People because <laughs> yeah, that just that just had me in hysterics, especially that second bit where he's he's like, and you say you're sane, having said it back to them. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant moment. I think. Um, what about scores out of ten? How many scutters out of ten would you give it, Billy? This is your. You said this is I, your favorite my, episode. It's my favorite episode. I can't give it anything less than a ten. Our oh, first oh, ten out of ten. Our first ten. <laughs> well it's my favorite one you know it's it's just i i think there are episodes that other people have probably classed to be the best sure. like you know there's there's one coming up at the end of this series adam and there's obviously Ooh. one next season as well yeah. that are always one or two on best episodes of red dwarf ever interesting and quarantine is always a favorite yeah. of like most lists it always sort of comes in the top 10 and when you think how many episodes of Red Dwarf there have been, that's quite a, a good feat, you know, quite an impressive yeah, yeah, feat. Yeah. It's always up there. Um, I just think everything about it is funny. I quote this episode in real life more <laughs> than most things. Like, um, I just, I'm, I, I always rattles around my brain for some reason, that argument that they have about um, vultures needing personal space. And, you know, they need time alone to put their feet up and read what carcass magazine. Yeah. I was like, that is such a great gag. And it was the first sort of gag I remember kind of getting where it was like, oh, there's like another level to this where they're they're being like relevant now, you know, but yeah, they're kind yeah. of twisting it. And 
it, yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's a, it's such a great episode. There's gags and uh, uh, every sort of like twenty to thirty seconds. Like it's just a constant barrage of really funny gags. Um, yeah, uh, I ten out of ten for me. Right. What about you, Adam? Uh, for me, uh, it, it's not a ten. Sorry, Billy, but uh, <laughs> it's it is still quite high. I'm giving this one a nine out of ten because yeah, I, I mean. We've we've summarized it pretty well, I think. But the comedy, for for the most part, is on the absolute top form. The actors are on their A game, particularly Chris Barry. But they're all do it. They all do a fantastic job. Um, again, like I said, I think now we've all had a bit of relation to the subject matter. I think that made me weirdly enjoy it more. Obviously, like relate to it more, but enjoy it more as well. So. Yeah, this is one of those episodes I say on this show sometimes where, because, you know, as you say, Billy, there's lots of Red Dwarf episodes. And as a first time viewer, I'm sure I'm not going to remember in full every single one of them, you know, that as it is. But this is one I definitely know I won't forget, you know, in a hurry. So, yeah, nine what, out of what, ten. I'd like to know, Adam, I, I catch me up in terms of rankings. How high is this for you? Is this the highest one yet? This, or? I think, uh, Phil, you might cra- have I have I given a nine point five? I know one of us has, but I can't remember which one of us it was. <laughs> to be honest, I think I've given one or two nines. I think I gave a nine to Meltdown when we yeah. did Meltdown because I really enjoyed that one. Um, but yeah, this is what either the second or third nine out of ten. So it's up there. It might be the top one. But as Phil says, I think one of us has given a nine point five. We just can't remember who no, it is. I can't remember what but, it was um, for either. I got a terrible memory. But no, I it's. Reckon, I reckon there's a ten coming before this series done. I reckon. Ooh. From we'll one see. of you, I'd be surprised. <laughs> I'd be surprised if it wasn't in contention for for one of the episodes this okay. year. Okay. Oh wow. We'll see. But what about you, Phil? Um, I'm going to go in between the two of you. I'm going to give it a nine point five. Oh, there you go. Okay. So another nine point five. Um, yeah, it's just like like you say, Billy. It's just constant reeling off the brilliant jokes after brilliant joke, which. Uh, you know, even in some of the really other really good episodes, you don't get that many laugh out loud moments, I don't think, in most episodes. So it was really good. Um, and yeah, I, I can't really fault it much. So maybe I should have given it a 10. I don't know. There's nothing I can particularly <laughs> like. I just I just feel like I've got to leave that space just in case there's like a sure. uh, one that I go, wow, mm. this is the best thing ever. Um, I, I think I think there's definitely a thing in Red Dwarf where for certain episodes they'll elevate the style of it and yes, I think this is a yeah. very typical Red Dwarf in a way you know they model shot opening gag in Starbug explore back to Red Dwarf for a bit of a runaround sort of thing it's kind of a typical Red Dwarf yeah. but then you know there's like I say there's the, the last episode of this series there's other episodes coming up where it has that kind of season finale or special or opening episode feel and that i think can be reserved for a 10 because that's when red dwarf really shines it's like a drama sometimes as well um so yeah i think i think that it's sensible to keep this at a, a 9.5 when there's still quite a lot to go yeah nice well, well do you know what that's mad isn't it the last time we had you on i think body swap is still amongst all three of us our least rated episode and so we've gone from that to now some well in in your case the highest and in our case is some of the highest so and funnily yeah, enough funny but pretty much around. most most people we've spoken to and mentioned body swap seem to have the same opinion apart from yeah. like there was one person that seemed surprised that we gave it so such a low one because they liked it i can't even remember who that person was but i remember we were talking to them and <laughs> they were like oh really 
But that's I, I have that with some Red Dwarf though. Like I'm surprised people don't like time slides. I really like that uh, episode. Yeah. But some people don't really dig it. But I, I think it's, you know, it's another cool, silly Red Dwarf sci-fi idea. And I think it does those really well. So, you know, giving a hologram a virus is kind of up there with the ridiculous silly sci-fi thing. So I think I just respond to those episodes quite yeah. well. You know, And I suppose that's what's good about the show. You know, there's something for different different tastes. And that's that's yeah. great. Well, there we go. Oh, wonderful. That's another Look episode that. down. Uh, <laughs> we're heading lo- fast to the end of series five now. Uh, we'll be at we'll be at the end of the original run before we know it. Cool. Mm. <laughs> um, and then we're then we'll be on to some some interesting stuff. <laughs> um, right. Let's let's plug what we've got to plug because Billy, you, we've already said you've got a podcast, but let let us reiterate what that is and where people can find it and anything so, else you want to plug. Yeah. Okay. It's the Review of Death podcast. Uh, it's going to be out every other Monday um, on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. There's going to be a video version and an audio version for people to download and, and listen to. Um, when the new series of Doctor Who starts, when series 13 starts later this year, we'll move it to weekly. So you kind of get instant reactions per episode as it goes out. Um, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, just Review of Death, at Review of Death or on the Review of Death. Excellent. There you go. Adam, where can people find you online? Where can you find me? Uh, if you just type in Adam Martin with a Y on YouTube, I will hopefully pop up. I make videos on uh, Doctor Who, but also other areas of pop culture I'm interested in. Uh, yeah, there's something for everyone, I'd like to think. So uh, come and check me out there. And on Twitter, just Adam Martin AMTV for my daily ramblings and hot takes. They're not really that hot, but they're, you know they're my takes. So if you want to hear them, go there. And uh, yeah, that's me. What about you, Phil? Well, you can find me on YouTube if you're not already there. If you are already there, don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, all that jazz. And uh, But if you're not, it's just my name, Philip Hawkins. Talk about geeky pop culture, Star Trek, MCU, a lot of Doctor Who. And, of course, this podcast is on there as well. So uh, do look me up, Philip 1L Hawkins. And <laughs> subscribe. That'd be nice. And, of course, we have the Twitter account for the podcast as well, which is at Pod. So do go and follow us on there for news uh, about the show, who's coming up as guests, uh, reminding you that there's new episodes and just sometimes just some random gifts, some random Red Dwarf hmm. gifts. We all love a random gif or a random meme, don't yeah. we? Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening and thank you, Billy, for joining us once again. It's been an absolute maybe, pleasure. Maybe Thanks. we'll make it a, a hat trick and oh, get you I mean, look, some I'll, of the later seasons. I'll need an even bigger like award or medal or whatever if you can get me to that. I'll need, like, <laughs> at least be diamond-encrusted. <laughs> Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. See you later.